Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. I hate going to networking events. But when I met April Wenzel at a networking event, I hated them a little less that day. She's a, a software engineer, and she's worked at various companies in the Silicon Valley area. She knows that programmers, herself included, can be a little jerky from time to time, and that jerkiness can sometimes interfere with companies' productivity and bottom line. So she now teaches emotional intelligence to other software engineers like herself through her company, Compassionate Coding. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, April. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. So first question, where did your interest in software engineering come from? So it's a little bit cliche, but when I was a kid, I always loved playing video games, computer games at the time. Um, and I loved the idea of uh, making them. So uh, when I was able to take computer science in high school, I jumped at the chance uh, because I, I, I love this idea of being able to create these worlds uh, using code. And so uh, for my first program onwards, I just always loved coding. And so I just stuck with it. Okay. And so what, what exactly did you study when you got to college? Also computer science. Yep, I majored in computer science, but I went to uh, Pomona College, which is a liberal arts school. So I also took uh, a lot of uh, courses in the humanities and things like that. I took some anthropology courses, um, you know, all uh, philosophy, all, all kinds of things. Wow, you were able to do all that and still do computer science too? And that wasn't, yeah. a, you didn't find that to be a little overwhelming? Uh, not really. I, I didn't have any social life at all in college, so I didn't have to worry about that. I was just very focused in the books. I was either in the computer lab or hitting the books in my room. So I just I put in a lot of time because uh, I, I knew it was important to get a good education, you know. Oh, man, that's 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 interesting because I remember when I was in I, I did engineering in, in, in college and I didn't get all that much choice in the electives. The ele only electives that I was allowed were electives that were only available to engineering students. So there wasn't all that much choice <laughs> in, in the electives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was no humanities and, and other things. It's just pick this elective or that elective. That basically had maybe, I think, three choices. And I think that was just in the first year. After that, it was all just strictly engineering courses. That's actually really interesting. And I wonder if that's related to, you know, what we both of us do, which is teaching, you know, engineering type people about, uh, you know, some of this stuff that they probably missed out in their engineering programs, you know. <laughs> now that you mention it, I think you're onto something. I, yeah. I, never, I never really thought of it that way. But you know what? You're, I think you might be right. The, the <laughs> fact that, yeah, we didn't have to do all these type of, you know, giving presentations in front of people. I think we, no, we had to do one presentation. I think I was in the senior year, like senior project. But I think that was that was basically it. After, but but be, before that, there was there was no type of you know speaking in front of people for any yeah. reason. Yeah, I think you're right. So, okay, this is just a this is a question that I I've always wondered, and hopefully you can answer. Is there a difference between computer engineering and computer science? And if there is, what is it? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Uh, I 
think that some programs call themselves computer engineering and some of them call computer science. Uh, I don't think that there's, I don't see a difference. I don't see a difference in most of these labels like software engineer, programmer, coder. Like I think they're all a little bit arbitrary and so they're defined in the context. So I think, you know, um, they, they might say that computer engineering is more about like constructing the programs versus computer science, which could be seen as more theoretical. Like I, I would see that argument, but that's not really the case. Like in the computer science programs, uh, you write code. It's very practical as well. You also learn the theory. So I don't think that there's a, a distinction, at least that I buy into in general. Okay. Well, okay. okay. So this is, this is something that happened to me, I guess, not, not too long ago, maybe a month or so ago. So Okay, hopefully, hopefully you don't take offense, but we'll see. So, <laughs> so there was this woman online and I was reading one of her, I guess, blog posts and she, she says she's an engineer. She went to, uh, I guess, one of those coding academies that, that, that exists, I guess it was a one year program. Mm -hmm. So are you, let's see, what's the best way to say this? Are you offended by people that call themselves engineers after going through maybe a year of a, of a program as opposed to people that actually went to engineering school and spent four years doing it and there, do you, do you see any kind of distinction? So no, actually, I think as soon as you start writing code, you can call yourself a software engineer. And I think that, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, adamant about this. I'm, I feel strongly because I feel like there's a little bit of arrogance in our field, uh, a little bit of, you know, like kind of uh, like what you said, like, oh, well, I put in four years. Like a lot of people who did a computer science program might say that, well, I put in four years and you just did, you know, even the six month program, because that's what some of them are. Uh, you're not a real engineer. And I actually think that's really harmful because, you know, we have things like imposter syndrome in our, uh, in our field where people don't feel good enough. And so I think, you know, you're, you're an engineer as soon as you start engineering, really. And that's, you know, as soon as you start building code. Uh, I think it's just about talking about what skills you have and what experience you have. So you don't misrepresent anything. You just say, here are the things I've built currently. Um, here's something I'm learning. Uh, but you're still a software engineer, I believe, at that point. Hmm. Interesting take. All right. So I mentioned in the, in the intro that you worked at a number of, of, of companies as a software engineer in Silicon Valley. What did you like the most about working as a software engineer? You know, I, I, in the same way, like why I started coding, because I liked building things, I really liked building things uh, to help people, something that would make somebody's life better, you know, um, it didn't start off that way, necessarily, like, you know, I just made kind of whatever uh, needed to be made, like I, I made Facebook games at one point, and that's not necessarily making anyone's life better. But then I got into doing uh, more meaningful work. Um, so I worked in bioinformatics at a lab at Stanford, and that was interesting. Um, uh, we, we had this platform uh, that contained data, that harvested data from papers about a specific type of model uh, plant that they use in a lot of experiments. Um, and so that was neat. Um, and then my favorite company in terms of what we were doing was an app that used machine learning to detect autism in children. And uh, like through a questionnaire, and then it used that with our machine learning algorithm. And that was really rewarding because it felt like we were really helping parents uh, get early intervention to uh, have better outcomes for their children. And so that was really meaningful. And so I think, you know, that's in general what I like about software engineering is using these tools to like make a difference in people's lives. Okay, cool. What did you like the least? <laughs> uh, probably the culture, which is why I started my company. But yeah, like just, I felt like it was very competitive, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, but I think in the tech industry in general, there's a lot of competition and, and not that competition is always bad. It can be healthy sometimes, but when it's really ego driven and it's like, 
um, you know, how much funding do you have? And what, you know, all these things and, and you know, uh, where did you go to school? Did you go to Stanford? All this stuff. And just a lot of kind of competition uh, and not really supporting each other. And, um, and so it's stressful too. So there's a lot of burnout, especially in tech because, well, and I would say it's because of this lack of emotional intelligence, this la lack of awareness about yourself and what's in, what you need to do to take care of yourself. And so I think that the people issues, the lack of concern for people issues is probably my least favorite thing. Okay. So, well, I mentioned also in the, in the intro that now you, you have your company, Compassionate Coding, and you, you talk about emotional intelligence to the programmers. So what motivated, what motivated you to, to start your company and, and to basically get away from, you know, coding and, and talk to, to programmers about emotional intelligence? And firstly, first question, what exactly is emotional intelligence? Yeah, okay. Um, so I will say, too, that I still do coding. It's just, you know, um, I also do this other stuff. So it's okay. kind of I do a mix. But anyway, but emotional intelligence, yeah. So um, it's being intelligent about your emotions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to define it that way. But uh, I like um, the work on emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman. So he's a psychologist who popularized the term. And he breaks it down into four categories of skills that people can develop. Um, and that self-awareness, which is just knowing how you're feeling, knowing about your emotions, uh, self-management, which is being able to intervene in your own kind of thinking in order to uh, affect your emotions, control your emotions. And then there's social awareness, which is being able to know what other people are feeling. And then relationship management, which is being able to adjust in a conversation based on the emotions and, and that. So it's like awareness and management in the, for the self and in the social realms. And so that's, so emotional intelligence is really the ability to understand and manage your emotions. Okay. And so the, the motivation for, for starting your, your, your business, Compassionate Coding, where did that come from? Yeah. So one, it was just noticing that there were just a lot of problems in our industry, in the tech industry um, that I was working in. And one of them was like burnout that was bothering me, like seeing people stressed out, burning out. Um, another was the lack of diversity in the field. Uh, you know, as a woman, I did notice that there were not very many women there. And uh, I, and then, so that was another issue that I had had with the industry. Um, and then third, I noticed that we were sometimes building products that weren't making people's lives better, but making them worse. And then fourth, I saw that projects were failing a lot because of poor communication issues. So I mentioned all these four because these, I think they're all symptoms of an underlying problem, which is this lack of emotional intelligence. And it's like being able to have empathy for people and being able to communicate in effective ways to build inclusive environments that are, uh, and, you know, incorporating ethics so that the software we build is helping the world. And so that's kind of uh, that the cause was I was, saw this problem and I saw that affected the bottom line because as I mentioned, projects were failing. And so that's what kind of led me to start something to fix it. And Compassionate Coding, the name actually came about because uh, around that time, two, two years ago, I went vegan. And so I learned a lot about compassion related to that because the idea with veganism is that you feel compassion for all life. So for all animals, which is why I don't eat animals. And so from learning about what compassion means, which is just trying to reduce suffering, I thought, well, that's what the tech industry needs. There's so much suffering uh, in the various ways I talked about. It needs some compassion. So I but compassion, and I like, I always like alliteration where they start with the same letter. So compassionate coding. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I've been doing that for two years now, two and a yeah. half years. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a catchy name for sure. So when you started your company was, okay, so here, here's a little bit about myself. This is something that I, 
I should have done, but I didn't because I didn't know any better. So I started a course called Teach the Geek to Speak to help engineers and scientists with their public speaking. And I, like yourself, saw this need, but I didn't do any kind of, I guess, market research or any kind of validation to, to prove that this, that this need was actually real. It was just based on my own, I guess, instincts or my own gut. Did you do any kind of research like that? Or did you just say, you know, I see this need, I'm, I'm building this company and we'll figure it out as we go? <laughs> um, well, you know, being up in Silicon Valley, one thing that I did like about it is this lean startup idea and this kind of uh, emphasis on iteration. And so I knew that I was ready to pivot in any way I needed to. Um, but I, I kind of think that my 10 years of working up there was kind of like a, a bunch of market research. You know what I mean? Because I got to have interviews with people like on a daily basis and uh, going to meetups, I would find out other people's problems. So I saw it wasn't like it just, I felt this, I saw that it was like a systemic problem. And so I felt enough confidence to, um, to start. And then I had the thought that I would iterate as needed um, to based on feedback and based on, uh, you know, what, whether it was resonating with people. And so that's what I've been able to do. Oh, well, you're, you're smarter than me, that's for sure. <laughs> I, didn't I, didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I didn't do any of that because, I mean, I just, I, I built the course and I thought, well, I, I have a course now, so, so people are always going to take it. No, it didn't work out that way. I had to eventually, based on my own failures in, in marketing and, and, and branding myself, I, I mean, I worked in R&D, I, I didn't know anything about that. I used to think marketing was a kind of a waste of time, but now, now I'm on my own, I realize how important it is, so I I now work with a team and, and they basically, they fill in all those kind of gaps that I have in my own, you know, background and knowledge. And it's mm -hmm. been all the, all the difference. So essentially all the things that I should have done before I started the course, we eventually did. Or that, well, those are actually the first things we did. So market validation, market research, that kind of thing. Luckily, it turns out my instinct was right, but. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> I see a need for what you do for sure. Yeah. yeah but you know, it, it very well could have gone, it could have went sideways. Luckily that wasn't the case. So yeah. with, with your company, Compassionate Coding, how do you go about finding the, the clients to talk to about emotional intelligence? So like former, I guess, uh, former jobs that you worked at or, or how do you go about doing that? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Like go to the jobs where I wasn't happy with how things were and be like, hey, now I can fix you with my company. Yeah, no, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really uh, do that. I, I've been really lucky. Um, and I say lucky, but I think it's just the way I've gone about it. So one of the first things I started doing when I started Compassionate Coding was writing a lot. So I wrote a blog post uh, and then I tweet a lot, <laughs> which I know you know because you follow me on Twitter and um, about, you know, my thoughts on what direction I think the industry needs to move in and uh, how we reduce suffering in the tech industry. And so enough companies see my, the material that I put out and then they reach out to me. So I don't really do a hard sell. I don't send out sales emails, um, which is nice because I just wouldn't really want to do that because this does help the bottom line, but I don't want to keep making that argument over and over again, just because it's kind of exhausting to try to be like, this is why it matters that you care about people. You know, it's like, um, I do enough of that in my writing. So what happens is uh, my first client ever came in through a Twitter direct message. They said, you know, oh, you know, we have these issues on the team. Can you come in and talk to us? And um, yeah, and then so a lot of my clients come in through Twitter. Uh, I have a form on my website and clients come in that way. And some just email me after my talks because I do a lot of speaking at conferences too, public talks. 
And then I get a lot of clients that way too. So thankfully I sort of, my, my um, um, strategy is I put out the content and it's sort of like these beacons and then people see them and find them and then they approach me and, uh, and then we go from there. Okay, so when it comes to the type of, of work that you do with these companies, how does that, how does your work take form? Is it, is it keynote talks? Is it workshops? Seminars? Mm-hmm. Like what, is, what, what exactly is it? Yeah, so the most common way that I work with a tech company is a half-day workshop. So it's about four hours, uh, and it's a, a workshop on emotional intelligence, but with bent with the angle of engineering, software, um, tech, Uh, Although it's not always engineers in my audience, it's often sometimes marketing people too, uh, designers, anybody at the company, the CEO sometimes sits in or CTO, especially if it's a smaller company. And so what we do is exercises on practicing, uh, recognizing your emotions and managing them, dealing with them and interacting with others. So we have little activities that we do um, for that. And I use examples from the software world and... um, I try to, like I, you said that something about how you used to think marketing was a waste of time. So I would have thought emotional intelligence was a waste of time back when I was a software engineer. And so I know that a lot of these engineers in the audience are probably thinking that. They're probably thinking, oh, this is a waste of time. And so I, knowing that I can kind of preempt it by, you know, making some jokes at the beginning to put them at ease. Like we're not going to be doing a group hug. We're not going to be doing, you know what I mean? There's not going to be trust falls or anything like that. Uh, And I think that, uh, you know, I I kind of try to craft it in a way that it would have appealed to me um, when I was uh, back being a jerk engineer or whatever. And so uh, I think that that's, that's one, one thing that makes my thing unique uh, in the field, because there's a lot of emotional intelligence programs out there, uh, but I try to make mine specifically appealing to kind of the techie type people. Well, that makes perfect sense because, I mean, you have instant credibility because you belong to that group yourself. I mean, if you were doing this for salespeople, it wouldn't make all that much sense. You, you, you're not in sales, so why the hell would I listen to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, that definitely would be the attitude. Yeah, well, and it's the same with you, right? I mean, they listen to you because, uh, you know, you have, you've been there, you know the, um, you know the field. For sure. Have you ever done a trust fall before? I have not. Have you? Yeah, once. Did it, it work a, out okay? <laughs> it, yeah, they didn't drop me, so that was good. <laughs> I, I went near the end, so I wasn't one of the first people. I wasn't the guinea pig. I wanted to see if people were actually going to get dropped, but no one got dropped. So I figured, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll do it. And I, it was kind of funny. So I was actually, so the, the way it was, well, I the person falling was actually, I guess, a, a couple, well, maybe a, a feet a foot or a foot and a half, maybe two feet above everybody else. So they were actually standing on something. So we had to actually fall all the way down. So, oh, wow. That's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. So I actually kind of launched myself. <laughs> I don't know if I should have done that. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't just fall right. I didn't just fall down. I kind of jumped a little into wow. it. Yeah. I think it was a bunch of dudes kind of catching me, and I don't weigh all that much. So they can't have <laughs> yeah. then they got problems. Yeah, so, give them a challenge there. I like yeah, it. <laughs> no question. Okay, so... Oh man, I just had I had I had a question I was going to ask, but now it, it escapes me because uh, because I got <laughs> talking about damn trust falls. <laughs> maybe we'll come back at some point. Yeah, maybe we'll come back. So <laughs> you do so with compassionate coding. Obviously, you run these these half uh, these half day. Oh, there I, I remember what it was. So the material that you use for these workshops, these are things that just come out of your own mind that you thought would be helpful to people. I mean, where did the exercise that you work with come from? 
Yeah, so I have been doing like a lot of research ever since, even before I started Compassionate Coding, because I had to learn some of this stuff myself, right? So I read a lot of books and um, uh, like about emotional intelligence and compassion and all these things. And so it's sort of like a synthesis of all the research that I've done kind of throughout my career. And so it's like a combination of different things. And then I put the kind of engineering spin on it. So whatever activity we're doing, like if there's examples of like things people say to each other, uh, that are, you know, that have empathy or that don't have empathy, I will switch those up to be examples that make sense in the realm of like a technology company. And so, uh, so some of it's like adapting things like that. Um, and just, yeah, being, in, being inspired by uh, what's out there. So yeah, no, it didn't just all come out of my head from scratch. It's more of a synthesis, which is what I feel like about most of uh, the, the work I do, like with blogging and stuff too. I often do a lot of research and, um, you know, just kind of compile it and then add my own analyses on top of it. And so I feel like that's, um, that's a good way too for anybody out there who's, you know, looking to uh, start a blog or anything like that. Like a lot of times starts with just doing a lot of reading, you know, doing a lot of research. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure the, the people that you work with, they, they appreciate the fact that you're not talking out of your ass. <laughs> no, I'm not making it up. No. I, and I always try to like put, um, you know, I, I reference studies. That's the thing is part of why I started caring about this stuff too was I found the uh, Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley is uh, totally dedicated to studying things like the importance of empathy, compassion, mindfulness, and uh, in our lives and in the workplace. And they have peer reviewed research articles that they share. Uh, and they have a blog, which is great too. But um, so they, you know, there's science behind it, like they'll show, <clears throat> they'll, they'll talk about research that shows that uh, you know, having compassion in the workplace is actually good for the bottom line. So I'll reference these things too in my um, talks and in the workshops. Uh, and I feel like that helps to um, make the, to get people to care. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you do your workshops or your, your company, do they only deal with tech companies or do you deal with other companies that hire, you know, people that have science and engineering backgrounds like biotech, med device, those type of things? Yeah, pretty much any technology companies and then some that probably wouldn't call themselves technology companies like a hotel company reached out to me just because, you know, they have an IT department and, um, you know, even uh, <clears throat> like I, I found out recently, I guess I should have thought about this before, but um, even like breweries, like they often have uh, IT departments to help with the distribution and all that. So it's like really the, the clients can be um, any type, just anybody where the technology side will resonate. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty diverse. I'm just picky about who I work with from like an ethical standpoint. So like there's some companies I avoid just because I don't like what they do. Like, like when drone companies reach out to me, like if they're, you know, that sort of thing, it's just not consistent. Like I'm a pacifist and stuff. So for me personally, I'm kind of selective in like my clients, but other than that, as far as like the range, it's quite a wide range there. All right. Well, the fact that you do these type of workshops through your company, it means that you must be pretty proficient or at least comfortable doing public speaking. Have you always been good at it? And if, if not, what did you do to get better? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so <clears throat> it's funny because I'm kind of in one-on-one -on -one situations or like small groups, I can be kind of shy, like it's kind of hard for me. But when I'm on stage, for some reason, I just I feel more confident. I think because I have the floor, I know no one's going to interrupt me. No one's going to, you know what I mean? I'm and so, yeah, exactly. And like, I have the microphone there. So, um, so yeah, so I actually have felt pretty confident. I mean, I still get like nervous sometimes, you know, uh, just human nature, but, uh, but no, I think I've always, I've always enjoyed kind of being up on stage. Like even when I was a little kid, like I, I loved, um, 
being in the school plays and like singing karaoke at the carnival and stuff. And so I've always liked being up on stage. My mom, when I started my company and started speaking a lot, my mom sent me pictures of me as a little kid with like a microphone and a bunch of them. So I feel like it's kind of a natural thing. But uh, as far as how I've gotten, like I, I have, you know, um, advanced over time and part of it comes down to practice and I'm sure you cover all of this in your course, but you know, you just practice is, is really what helps. And, um, and I would say being I really care about being authentic. So some people say that like I talk fast in my talks and I do, but it's like partly, and, and I, you know, I try, sometimes I have talked slower and more slowly and it doesn't feel like me. It doesn't, you know what I mean? So I feel like sometimes it comes, I get bored listening to my, so <laughs> I think sometimes in an effort to appeal to everyone, we sometimes sacrifice parts of ourselves. So I don't try to appeal to everyone. I kind of appeal to uh, the people I'm going to appeal to. And so that gives me confidence too, because I feel like there's going to be some people in my audience who probably hate my talk. And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> so I guess that mindset kind of helps me be more confident when I'm up on stage. You know what? I fully agree with you, April. You, you, can't, you can't be all things to all people. And right? someone, you know, it's, it's funny. Just this, this past week, so I attended uh, what, uh, it's called the Dream Business Academy. It was held here in, in San Diego. And I, they, they, they called me up on stage to, they had a part of the, of the, the academy called Profit Seats. And they called people up from the audience to talk about their business. And if that, that person had an issue, it's kind of like a mastermind, essentially. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. So I was one of the last, I was actually the last person to go. And, you know, the person was, was talking, the, the, the host of, the, of the, the academy was asking me questions about, you know, Teach the Geek and, you know, answering them. And he, and he mentioned that, I guess my my demeanor was kind of even keeled, and he asked me if it's, if I've always been that way, and I said yeah. And so he asked me in my course, do I teach you know other you know the you know using using of your hands and using the stage and all these other things you know both varying your vocal you know vocal range when you're giving speeches, and I told him absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, and the main reason I, I said that is because you know for even for myself I. It's not authentic to me, honestly. Right. When, I, when I see, when I hear people, you know, just kind of just speaking loud for no damn reason, I'm always thinking to myself, "Why are you yelling? I mean, you got a mic." Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's kind of artificial. Some, yeah, it comes across as like inauthentic. And I think too, like if you try to control what you do with your hands too much, it's like you're. It feels very robotic, you know. Versus when you're more natural, it just right, it comes across naturally. So I think that's totally some of these things. You can't teach the outcome, kind of. You can only sort of healthy internals like make somebody confident and then they'll do what they're gonna do right like if they're more confident they'll be themselves more yeah i fully agree and and i guess maybe it that my i guess my my demeanor probably also stems from being in, in science and engineering too at least i don't think i'm a unicorn in that in that sense the people that are i'm trying to reach tend to kind of be like me so we we have we have things we have this expertise and we want to to convey it to people but we definitely want to do it in a in a in an authentic way, and we're not trying to be like you know we're not trying to be the next Tony Robbins. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, you're trying to be yourself. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So, do you have a process for when you're when you're when you're preparing a speech, and if so, what is it? Um, I do. So usually what I do, so I have these big whiteboards that I got um, and I actually got them from Home Depot. You can get like shower board and it's uh, it's uh, you can get like a huge sheet for like $12. So just a tip for anyone out there who wants a big whiteboard, but doesn't want to spend like, you know, a thousand dollars or something on a huge one. Um, 
And so what I do is I do like a mind map. So I put in the center, like a circle with the topic I'm going to talk about. And then I, you know, kind of have other circles that have the subtopics and I kind of draw arrows to say how I'm going to go through the talk. So that's kind of like a step one uh, to kind of get my head around what I'm going to talk about. And then I put that and then I start making the slides and I kind of, I used to do where I would like write the talk outline first and then do the slides. But now I've done so many that I kind of do it in parallel now where I just kind of write the talk as I'm making the slides and it's almost like storyboarding kind of. Um, and I, I really like that. And I tried to remember when I tried to remember to do this, which is a tip that I read somewhere online that said, uh, imagine giving your talk in just one sentence. And so make sure that you know what the key point is. Like if you could only have one sentence to share what that would be. And so I try to remind myself of that because I, my issue when it comes to talks is I always have so much more material that I want to cram in there, but that I can't because of time. Even when I do talk fast, there's some things I can't fit in there. And so it's like cutting stuff away is hard. And so I always try to remember what's the essence of this talk and then try to make sure that gets across. Um, and then I make the slides. And then to be honest, I don't really practice anymore like beforehand because I, I just like, like coming, letting it come out as it does. So, you know, I do the storyboarding and planning, but I don't actually do run throughs anymore beforehand where I do the full talk because I just don't have the patience to do that anymore. Because now I do so many talks that it's like, the time it would take and everything. And, um, and I feel like for me, some, I like ad living in the moment too sometimes. And I feel like some of my the funniest comments I make come from just how my mind works on the spot. Uh, and so I let that come out too. So, but when I was first starting, I definitely would write out everything I was going to say and then practice it multiple times. But, you know, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, like it just gets easier with time and you just get more comfortable, uh, especially if you're, sharing similar things, even if it's not exactly the same, you just get more comfortable. For sure. And even the fact that you, so be, because you don't practice, are you still able to, to keep with, uh, I should ask, do you have a time limit for some of these talks that you have to get? And if so, without practicing, you're able to keep within that limit? Yeah, it's funny. I know it seems, it seems like it doesn't make sense, but yeah, what I, so usually how that works out is I know what the middle slide is and like, I, I remember that. And then I remember like the midpoint and so my, I, I, that's kind of a check-in I do. Like I check the time on the presenter view of the thing. And then I check if I've made it to that middle slide. And if I haven't, then I'm like, okay, got to pick up the pace. And just, it usually just works out. And then, and then if I get towards the end and, you know, but yeah, I think it's just, I know too now, like when I see how many slides I have, roughly what that's going to translate into based on past experiences. So it's kind of like, yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty good at staying within the time. For some reason, I'm a little bit obsessive about that. Like I don't want to go over. I want to be, you know, uh, in the right time. And like I said, I always have more material, but I always just um, find a way to make sure I finish on time, just out of consideration. You know, nobody likes when they it's lunchtime and you have to keep sitting listening to someone, right? No, no, they don't at all, yeah. April. <laughs> and honestly, that's actually something I mentioned in, in the course. And it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. I went to this conference one time and I swear to God, damn near all the presenters went over time. And it was just so, it's so annoying. And yeah. frankly, it's not only that, it's, I, I find it's insulting to, yeah. to the audience. You're not respecting their time. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's so true. So yeah, no, that's something I'm pretty careful about. And I, that's why I like the presenter view where you can see how much time you have. Because if I end up needing to skip a slide or something, I'll just kind of, just kind of quickly go through it and then like, or, you know, quickly skip past it. And usually people don't even notice because, um, you know, most people are not like, analyzing your talk they're just trying to get value out of it so I'm always just like what value can I provide to these people in the time that I have and that's kind of the mindset that I put myself in before every talk because I really think 
you know, that, that's the whole point. Like the only reason I do this is to try to help people in some way. It's not just to see myself speak, to be honest, like if I could stop doing this, you know, I would, but I can't because I just, I have a message to share. And so I have to get out there and share it, you know? Yeah, I, I fully understand where you're, where you're coming from. And if the people in the audience haven't thanked you for not going over time, I will thank you for them. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate <laughs> so, that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you, you, you still get nervous when you, you give speeches. How do you deal with those nerves? Yeah, you know, I do. And, and um, it's interesting because it's like, no matter how many I do, I still get a little bit of flutter beforehand. I think um, I, I read somewhere about how like anxiety and nervousness is just the flip side of like excitement, like because they're similar high intensity emotions. And so what I try to do is flip it around. So if I'm feeling nervous, I try to just translate that into excitement. So like, because, you know, in the same way that when you're anxious, you might like be fidgety, you can use that too as excitement. So I think that that's why it's probably related too to why I feel like wanting to talk fast, but that's partly because of just the way my mind works. It just, I have a lot of thoughts going through there. And I feel like too, most engineers do it. So they kind of, they're okay with that kind of manner of, of uh, communication. But anyway, um, and so, yeah, I just get really excited. And I, and I will say that I do, I do yoga too beforehand uh, when I can, when there's enough uh, uh, time. Um, and that kind of helps me calm down a little. And I do some deep breaths because uh, I think that's one of the reasons um, people feel nervous is partly just how they're breathing. Because if you have really shallow breaths, uh, it's your body picks up on like, oh, okay, this is fight or flight. I'm like nervous. Whereas if you breathe into your stomach, like, you know, more like, you know, kind of in your belly area, like if you let yourself relax there, um, you just feel more relaxed. I mean, you know, and this is something that like, I don't try to like prove it. Like, here's a paper that explains why this is true. I'm just like, try it out and see. And you'll, if you take deep breaths, you, you know, you will feel more relaxed, but there is, there is science to back this up too. It's just that I'm not, uh, you know, an expert in that, but yeah. Oh, wow. So you, you try to do yoga before you, you speak? I do. Yeah. Wow. I, I sometimes do like a headstand. I'll put a, I always put photos on Twitter, uh, from doing like, I'll do a headstand in my hotel room and, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. I actually, I enjoy yoga very much. I do it here in, in San Diego every Sunday in Balboa oh. Park. Yeah, it's really nice. Awesome. And yeah, because, you know, living here in San Diego, you could be outside basically all year round. There's a meetup group that meets in Balboa Park every Sunday at 11 a.m. And if I'm in San Diego, I'm there. Awesome. I might have to try that out. I love doing yoga outside. I sometimes do it at the beach. It's just hard because my yoga mat gets sandy. So I have to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, luckily, we do it here in the park. It's on, well, yeah, it's on grass. So there's, That's there's good. no sand involved. <laughs> That's good. That's good. For sure. So are there, what are the, well, what are the most important tips that you could offer somebody when it comes to becoming a better public speaker? You know, I think, um, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think having your why, being very clear on your why, like, why do you even want to become a public speaker, right? Like, what's your, what's your goal in it? Um, because you will encounter challenges. And so it's important to be able to fall back on why this matters to you. So for me, it's like, I just feel really strongly about this compassionate coding message and I really want to help people with it. So even when I don't, I'd rather like sleep in and do nothing. Uh, I like have to get up and do it and I have to, um, you know, get up there even if I'm nervous or whatever. And so knowing your why, I think that's like a big tip. And uh, two, I think, and I mentioned this too, just being authentic. Like I think knowing to who you are, like taking some time and thinking about how you want to come across. Like, do you want to sound like a newscaster? Do you want to sound like, you know, very robotic up there? Do you want to be Tony Robbins, right? Do you want to be, um, or do you want to be, you know, you? Do you want to be like just a, a well-spoken engineer, right? Like, I mean, I think it's about uh, just knowing 
who you want, who you are and who you want to be, how you want to improve uh, in an authentic way. So don't try to be somebody else really, because, you know, they're, they already exist. So you can only be you. So I think being authentic. And three, I think remembering, and this is just true, and I have to remind myself this because I can get very serious, to have fun, right? Like, so, like, if, if it doesn't go well, just kind of laugh at yourself afterwards. I mean, try not to beat yourself up because, you know, I've had talks where, yeah, where, you know, I mean, I've had better talks, some are better than others in terms of how it goes. I mean, I always do my best, and then I just try to think how I can get better, but I always have fun. I mean, there's never been one where I didn't have fun in some way. So I think if you can remember that, bring some levity to it. Uh, it'll help you keep going even when things may get um, a little challenging and it keeps you too from burning out because you don't want to burn out either. Yeah, for sure. I remember I gave this speech once here in San Diego and the, the speech was billed as being, well, before the speech there was, there was food, there was a, they called it buffet style. And when I heard buffet style, I think all you can eat. Yeah. That's, what, that's what that means in my mind. Well, it, it wasn't all you can eat, April. I, I, I <laughs> oh, got no. There. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, indeed. So I got there. I, you know, I'm hot. So when I hear buffet, I'm, I'm not eating beforehand because right. I'm going to fill up. I'm, yeah. I think like, I got tapeworms in my belly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going there to do damage. Yeah. So, so I, I get in the line for the food and there are servers there. I'm wondering what the hell the servers do in there. It's buffet. I'm supposed to take as much as I want, but that's, what, that's not what happened. They're giving me a little bit of rice a little bit of the chicken, and a little bit of the salad. And, mm. and, and they ran out of the damn dessert. I didn't even get oh. dessert. Yeah, oh, I, was so, I was so mad. So I actually mentioned this during my talk later. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, Well, they didn't find it funny at all, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. Oh, I would have loved that, yeah. <laughs> no, the, well, the funny thing is the servers that were at the back, they were laughing. Yeah. But the actual people in the audience, oh, they, they didn't think it was funny at all. Oh, wow. I, I would have laughed. I would have thought that was funny. I love making little references like that to, to what's going on in the conference. See, that's why, too, like I leave space to ad lib a bit, right? Because it makes you more human and stuff. So I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. So I, I had fun. So is there anything else that you would like to, that, that you haven't shared yet that, you, that you'd like to share? Um, no, I think you, you did a great job of like hitting on all the points that, uh, that I'd want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I do uh, have my website that if anybody's interested in, you know, learning more about this stuff, such as CompassionateCoding.com. Um, and I have a newsletter too. So, uh, and, and I'm pretty active on Twitter, April Wenzel on Twitter. Okay, so April Wenzel on Twitter. And if people want to go to your website, it's CompassionateCoding.com. Are those the main ways to get in touch with you? Yeah, those are the best ways. Um, yeah, because, uh, yeah, and I, um, I have a newsletter on compassionate coding. I've been, I took a little break from it uh, just because I was doing so much speaking. Uh, it was kind of hard to also uh, keep up with the newsletter, but I'm getting back into it because I like to share kind of, there's been a lot of developments recently around uh, emotional intelligence in the field. Like um, Linus Torvald, who created Linux, recently came out and said that he wants to learn about uh, that he's, you know, he's, he's known as being this kind of uh, jerk guy over the years, like cussing people in the, uh, you know, code comments and stuff. And he just came out saying he wants to learn about empathy. So I'm just like, oh, this is huge news. So like stuff like that, I like to share with my, uh, with my audience there. Cause it's just, it's, it's, this stuff is changing. This stuff is becoming more important, like speaking skills, uh, emotional intelligence, all of it. Like this matters for our job too. Man, isn't that, isn't that crazy? So he wants to learn empathy. So like, you want to be a human being? Like <laughs> Exactly. The basically, yeah. But I mean, you know, that's, and, and that's kind of what I teach, right? So I mean, you know, I guess it's, uh, you know, because we all have empathy. It's just a matter of how we show it and how we, you know, in our interactions with people. And so, 
Um, yeah, but I think it's, it's encouraging to me to see him say that because I feel like he, a lot of people look up to him, even though he is kind of uh, abusive sometimes. And so I think that the fact that he came out and said that is, is good news. Good news. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Okay, well, th that pretty much marks the end of all my questions. Thank you so much for, for, for speaking with me, April. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really fun. <laughs> Great. So again, everybody, my name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for STEM professionals. The first offering is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, please take care.